Bibles to the book of Acts. We uh, continue a series through the book of Acts, and what we have seen, what we are learning is just what we were singing, that Jesus is Lord, that He is the one who has conquered the grave, and that is the witness of the church. The church declares to the world that there is one who has been raised from the dead, one who will rule forever, and the church calls the world, the nations, to be a part of this kingdom that he is establishing in the world. This week, we are in Acts chapter 13, the second part of Acts chapter 13. We're going to begin uh, our time of study in verse 13, but as we uh, come to God's Word, we want to stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word, and I'm going to begin reading actually at this time in verse 36. So we will study beginning in verse 13, but hear the Word of God beginning in verse 36 of Acts chapter 13 through verse 41. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with the fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by everyone who believes, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Be aware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish for what I am doing, a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if someone tells you. Oh God, I pray that would not be the case for us. I pray we would not fulfill the word of your prophet, that we would not be those who refuse to believe, but we would believe in this one who is Lord, this one who is Savior, this one who is King. We would submit to him with our whole lives. Everything about us would be brought captive by him today. By the power of your spirit, according to your word, we pray. Amen. May be seated. Well, after a few Weeks of marriage counseling, sorting through issues of love and respect, I had finally uncovered this couple's problem. After weeks of sort of talking about how a husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and sorting out specifics of what that looks like, how a wife is to follow her husband, submit to him with joy as the church does to Christ and how that looks in everyday life. We had finally uncovered probably the biggest problem in their marriage. This young couple who had been married for maybe eight months was contemplating divorce and they had come seeking help. And the one problem, the biggest problem with their marriage was Rome. Not the city of Rome, not the place of Rome, not the church of Rome, but the video game, Rome. That was their biggest problem. It was probably the most pathetic account of failed male leadership that I have ever seen in my life. His wife even went out and purchased a laptop, purchased the game, purchased the equipment so she could play this video game with her husband because he was so consumed with this video game, he wanted nothing to do with her when he got home. 
He would go to work. He would go to school. Uh, and you would look at his life. You would think he's not a lazy guy. He's working. He gets up early. He comes home late. But as soon as he got home, he wanted to play Rome. He wanted to have nothing to do with his wife. He had developed such a desire for this video game that he was mentally, physically, and spiritually abandoning his wife. And we look at that and we say, that is absolutely pathetic. Some of us are thinking, what in the world has the world come to? Uh, Dr. Jim Martin's about to fall off his seat over here. He can't believe it. And we're thinking, this is pathetic. But it is the same issue. At the heart of this issue is the same problem we all have in this room. You see, he would come home and at work and at school, he was really just sort of melding into the crowd and he was really a nobody according to himself. But he could come home and he could play this game and be a hero, be a dictator, overcome worlds and be a king, which he was not feeling much like a king in everyday life. And he was addicted to that. He was consumed by that. And we all have that same desire. We all have that same desire to tell our own story, to be king of our own kingdom, to to make sure we are somebody. And that desire pulls us away from what God is doing in the world. It pulls us away from his story to tell our own story. We come to Acts chapter 13, and Paul stands up, and he is preaching here in Acts chapter 13. We we see in verse 13, he is preaching here in Pisidia in a synagogue full of Jews. These are people who are committed to the story of God. If we said, do they know the story God is telling? We would say, yes, they know it better than anyone who has ever known it on the planet. They are connected to what God has been doing since the dawn of time. It is woven into their life. It is a part of who they are. And they gather every Saturday morning to tell the story. And so Paul and Barnabas on this missionary journey, as they are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, they wind up in this synagogue with Jews gathered around them. They notice, hey, that's Paul. Paul is this fascinating teacher in the sense that he's got a lot of knowledge. He's very intellectual. He knows the scriptures better than anybody around here could possibly know the scriptures. And so this man shows up at our worship service. Let's ask him what he has to say today. And we see in verse 16 that Paul stands up and unleashes this recounting of Jewish history. And we see here that if we are going to connect to God's story, first of all, Jesus has to be the end of our story. Notice Paul stands up in verse 16. Paul stood up and he is motioning his hands as a teacher. And he says, men of Israel and you who fear God, Jews and Gentiles who have gathered here in this synagogue, who are following the ways of Judaism. Verse 17, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in, the, in Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out of it. 
And for about 40 years, he put them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them the land as their inheritance. All of this took 450 years until he finally gave them judges until the prophet Samuel. He begins the story. He says, I want you to know I know your story. I want you to know I know what you are a part of. And it began with God choosing us. It began with God choosing you and he grew you up in Egypt to be this mighty force that Pharaoh is standing around thinking, how in the world can we contain these people? And yet God keeps growing Israel up in Egypt so that he could deliver them from Egypt so that he could display his power over Pharaoh's power. Paul says, I know your story. I know our story. I know about the promised land. I know about the deliverers in the promised land. I know about Samuel the prophet. I know about the judges. This is an amazing story. And we read it and we say, it is an amazing story. Every Easter, Charles Heston and ABC, they tell us this story. It's still one of the most popular stories that's ever been told. It makes cucumbers and tomatoes seem interesting and entertaining. This is an amazing story. But Paul's point here to this group of people is as enamored as you are with that part of the story. It's just a part of the story. It's just a chapter in the story. There is more coming. And we see as he continues to speak here, the people knew more was coming. For in verse 21, they asked for a king. They are in the land. They see the judges raised up to deliver them and protect them. But they know they need a king. And they ask for a king like the nations. And God, verse 21, gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. They wanted to tell their own story. They wanted a king according to their desires. And God gave it to them. And for 40 years, they have this king who is living according to his own desire, his own will. He's not anointed by the Spirit of God. The way we see here as the text continues, David would be anointed with the Spirit of God. Notice verse 22. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do my own will of this man's offspring God has brought to Israel a savior Jesus as he promised David the little shepherd boy out in the Waco area of town playing his harp and you hear here you have Saul the city boy Everybody knows he is the star of the football team. He took the team to state. Everybody knows who he is as he walks around the town. And the people say, we want him to be our king. And if we were telling the story, he would be the hero. He would be the Jack Bauer. He would be the one who saves the day. But God's telling the story. And so who's the hero? The little kid playing the harp. The one who steps in and nobody says, he... King, look at the look at his appearance, and yet he begins to demolish giants. 
by the power of the Lord, he is the hero. And the point Paul is, is pointing to is always in this story, there is a longing for more. Always in this story, there is something else that is going to happen. And so don't get lost in the past. Don't get lost in the good old days. Even as Israel was established after David and Solomon established them in the land and there's prosperity, what do we see throughout the rest of the Old Testament? They're in the land, they rebel, they're kicked out of the land. They come back to the land, they rebel, they're kicked out of the land. There's, there's got to be more. We read all our Old Testaments and we're not thinking this is the end of the story. We're thinking there's got to be more. There's got to be more than Abraham, Moses, and David. There's got to be more. And this is the reason so many of us are frustrated when we read our Bibles. Because we have been taught as we read our Bibles, we are supposed to be like Abraham. Be like Abraham. But then we read about Abraham lying about his wife. And then we read about Abraham who takes control of the story and tries to produce the chosen seed with his slave. And we're thinking, be like Abraham? And then we think, be like Moses. Moses was a great leader. Look at Moses. We forget Moses couldn't talk very well. And we forget the way Moses' story ended. Moses was mad at God and slammed his staff on a rock out of anger and God wouldn't let him go to the promised land. Be like Moses? Do we really want our story to end like Moses's? Do we really want to be like Abraham, be like Moses? And then we say, be like David. He killed the giants in his life. Be like David. Remember, David was a bloodthirsty warrior. This was a man who destroyed lions and bears and said, this giant is no problem. And this was a man who was so hungry for what he wanted. He would kill another man's, he would kill a, a, a man so he could have his wife. He would murder for another man's wife, Bathsheba. Do we want to be like David? As we read the story, we say, yeah, they're great. They do all these amazing things, but do we want to be like them? I'm not sure we want to be like Abraham, Moses, and David all the time. But the reality is we are like them. The reality is we're just like them. Abraham, Moses, and David were sinners. Abraham, Moses, and David were sinners, and there were so many times in their life they wanted to tell their own story. They wanted to do it their way. And Christ was not the end of their story at all times. But they were hoping in a better story. They were hoping in a better exodus, one that Moses could not bring. They were hoping in a better kingdom, one that David could not bring. And we see here in verse 23, it came through Jesus Christ, the son of David. Their stories were wrapped up ultimately in Jesus, the Savior, the son, the offspring of David. And that's where our story must be wrapped up. Not in just the story of Abraham. Not in just the story of Moses, not just in the story of David, but where their story was headed. Our story better be headed to the same place. Because we wake up every morning and we leave our house and we think, I got to make a name for myself today. I got to do my job so I keep my job. 
I got to make a name for myself. I got to provide for my family. I hope so-and-so notices me so I get the promotion. I hope my neighbors see how well-behaved and well-mannered my kids are. I have to make a name for myself. And if we live like that, I have to make a name for myself. We miss the point. We wake up every morning and we leave our house and whatever we do that day, we say, I am wrapping this up in Jesus. This is all about Jesus. Whatever name I accomplish for myself, it's about Jesus. Whatever money I make today, it's about Jesus. Because the reality is I can have money, a house, and a great reputation and my kids be well-mannered and it be in vain. And that story come to an end real quick. It must be wrapped up in Jesus. And at the end of every day, we say, I I failed in so many ways, but Jesus never failed. I failed, I sinned as a father, as a mother, as an employer today, but Jesus never sinned. Our stories must be wrapped up in him. Notice verse 24, John the Baptist got this right. We see in verse 24, John is proclaiming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And people are coming out in droves to hear this this uh, hair-clothed man who's eating bugs. This backwoods preacher who's down by the river baptizing people. And everyone is all shook up by his preaching. They are podcasting his sermons. They are flocking to hear him. And what does John do? I'm going to plant a church. The first, first Baptist church, John the Baptist church. (laughs) But notice what he does. As he was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. That's what it's all about. Your story must end in Jesus. Your story must dead end. And where it dead ends, Jesus's must begin. And everything you do must be wrapped up in him, wrapped up in his story. And if we are simply going to be like Bible characters, here's the problem with that. Jesus is just another character. What God is saying to us here, he's not just another character. He is the character. Notice as the text continues in verse 26, Jesus is the centerpiece of the story. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, of those who fear God, to us it has been sent this message of salvation. What Abraham, what Moses, what David was waiting for, this promise of deliverance, it has come to us. It has landed in our laps. It is moving through here as we declare it to you. For those who live in Jerusalem, verse 27, and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. The story moved right through here. We had someone come and tell us the story. But because we didn't understand the scriptures that we read every week, we didn't understand the verses that we taped to our foreheads, we didn't understand what the prophet said was coming, the Jews in Jerusalem killed him. They killed him. Why? 
Because they made themselves the centerpiece of the story. When they read the story, they said, this is all about me. This is all about the power that I have. And they turned their understanding of the law and interpretation of the law as the centerpiece of the story. They turned the authority that they had as teachers into the centerpiece of the story. And when Jesus came along, they wouldn't let go of it. The very things, the scriptures that were to point them to Jesus were the very things that made them miss Jesus. Do you understand that? Do you understand how dangerous it is to read your Bible apart from Jesus? Everything is wrapped up in Jesus or you're just like the men who killed Jesus. You know, we got a lot of programs that we're trying to get moving. BFGs, VBS that is this week. Wonderful strategies for ministry. I Heart MC. Everybody's talking about it. What in the world is it? We got all these hundreds of hits on the website. We got all of these things that we believe are necessary, that we believe are a part of pointing this city to Jesus. But if we ever forget why they exist and we miss Jesus, and it all becomes about 70 to 100 kids at VBS, and it all becomes about hundred to a thousand hits on a website and it all becomes about uh, all we are doing and we miss Jesus that's our story who cares about our story our story will end and the danger for us is the danger of the Jews here in Jerusalem that they become the villains in their own story What Paul is telling them, you have this fabulous story. You have this fabulous story where pharaohs are killed. God killed the pharaohs in the Red Sea for you. Giants are destroyed with slingshots. But here's what's happened. The Jews over in Jerusalem who read those stories every week, they all of a sudden have become the Canaanites. They all of a sudden have become the Goliaths who will be beheaded. They are opposing Christ, they are opposing God's king. Notice as the text continues, even though they found no guilt in him, they killed him, verse 28. And then verse 29, they carried him out. They carried out all that was written of him. They took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. Can you imagine as they are killing God's king, they are actually fulfilling the scriptures that they are holding tight to. They have become the villains in the story. Notice Verse 30, though, but God raised him from the dead. They were trying to stop the story, but the story could not be stopped. He was raised from the dead. The only one story who will never stop is Jesus' story. And so the question is, what story are you a part of? What story are you telling? Who is the centerpiece of your story? If you are the centerpiece of your story, here is the reality. You will be stopped one day. Notice as the text continues. And for many days he appeared to those who had come to him, come with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now witnesses to the people who are bearing testimony that he was raised from the dead. And then Paul says in verse 32, we bring you good news that what God has promised to the fathers, this has been fulfilled to us by their their children by raising Jesus from the dead. Then he quotes from Psalms, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Why would Jesus' story not end? Because he's king. 
and not just a king the people chose. He is God's king. That's why God raised him from the dead to say this is the only one who could die for sin. This is the only one who can conquer death. He cannot be stopped. And he continues in verse 34. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. And therefore, in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. And as we read earlier, David saw corruption. The only, one, the only king whose story will not stop is Jesus's. And God has proven that to us while his body lay lifeless and cold in a first century coffin with no blood flowing, no heart beating, brain waves still. Three days later, his heart pumps, his eyelids flicker, his hands begin to twitch, and he stands up and he takes the grave clothes off his head. And God says, that's my king. He's the only one he can do that. David is dead. If you're trusting in David's story, he's dead. And here's the reality. If you are trusting in your story, you will die too. You will die. If you are the centerpiece of your story, it will end. That's why we can make nothing else the center of the gospel. Many of us come here today and the good news of Jesus is good. It will be good news if Jesus makes me happy. It will be good news if Jesus fixes my marriage. It will be good news if Jesus makes my kids obey. It will be good news if I get the job. And we even take verses from the Bible and we apply those to those situations. And yet we realize that that doesn't always happen. And so the question is, is the good news true? Yes. The story of the good news never stops. Even when the story of your marriage may be difficult. Even when the story of your kids may be difficult, even when the story of your job may be difficult, that's the point of the good news. That's the point. You're surrounded by bad news, but the good news keeps moving. And the point is, are you going to latch to the good news? Are you going to latch to the story that can't be stopped? Sin and death can't stop it, but sin and death can stop you. And every so often we get that phone call. You need to come to the hospital. Every so often we get that obituary in the paper. Got to go to another visitation. And we're reminded we can be stopped. David was stopped. Moses was stopped. Abraham was stopped. Are you going to be like them? Or are you going to trust in the one who will raise them from the dead? Just like he will raise you from the dead. Paul declares here, this is the one the story is about, and you have rejected him. Your, your uh, cohorts in Jerusalem have rejected him. And so the issue here is repentance. We see finally in verse 38. He says, let it, known to be to you, let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins has been proclaimed to you. The only way you escape the corruption that David has experience that David has endured is if you would have your sins forgiven. Your greatest problem and my greatest problem isn't our marriages. It's not that our spouse is playing Rome. It's not that our spouses constantly let us down. It's not that our kids constantly let us down. 
It's not that our employer lets us down. Our greatest problem is that we are sinners. And the only way to escape that problem, he says here, is to believe in this one who has been raised from the dead. Paul has an invitation here. It's every head bowed, every eye closed. We have to do business with God. And he warns them that the very word of God that they are so familiar with, talked about what they are even possible, uh, uh, they are even capable of doing here in hearing the word of the king, hearing the word of the Messiah that has come, and yet reject it and yet rejecting it and every one of us here today that's possible every one of us here today we are capable of hearing this story standing here sitting here and rejecting it preaching this story and rejecting it the way that we begin to understand this story is Jesus is the end of the story. Jesus is the centerpiece of the story. And for some of us here today, Jesus needs to be the beginning of the story. He needs to be the one where we say, this is all about him. And I've been telling my story for too long. I'm going to end that book and I'm going to start telling his story. Actually, the part of the book that I've already written that is already messed up and has got all sort of grammar and editing mistakes, I'm going to just fold that into his story because it's going to sound and it's going to look a lot better when it's about Jesus. Think about this. You look out on your life and you think about the mistakes you've made. You think about bad decisions that you've made. Do you want, we at funerals and when it comes to the end, we stand around deathbeds and we stand around caskets and we try to make things up about the person there. And we say things like, well, you know, he smiled a lot. He always, when, it's a, when it's a disgusting, despicable human being, we just say he smiled a lot. We don't know what else to say. I've preached those funerals of guys who played Rome. And what do you say? And if we're honest, we all have those mistakes. We all have those sins. Do we want our story to end that way? Or do we want our story to end? Yeah, he was a sinner and he knew it. He was open about it, but he trusted Jesus. And this casket is about Jesus raising this casket from the ground and busting it wide open. And his story will end with him ruling and reigning with Jesus forever. What do we want the end of our story to be? Some of us here today have got to stop telling our story. You know, for my friend, who later became my friend as we worked through marriage issues and got closer trying to deal with those issues, for a while his wife was basically a poster in his life. He did his thing and he came home, he played Rome, and she stood in the background with food. And that's, she was a poster. She was just a side story. In his story. She was a comma, a period, an exclamation point every now and then. And she was irrelevant to, it, to, to what was going on with the, with the controller in his hand. For some of us, Jesus is a poster in your life. For some of you, Jesus is a poster in your life. And the gospel to you is admit I'm a sinner, believe Jesus died for my sins, believe he will forgive me, and you got your poster on the wall. And that's it. And you got your baptism certificate right next to it. It's just making your story look a little bit better. The gospel is being used by you to make you look better. The same thing the enemies were doing here. The law made them look better. 
Are you using the gospel for your own benefit? Are you using the good news of Jesus Christ for your own benefit so you can have memory verses on your coffee mug and you can stick these things on your refrigerator and you look and you act like a Christian? You post those big, obnoxious pictures on Facebook that freeze up my phone when I scroll down them. I can do all things through Christ and, and I've seen them over and over. Is that who you are? That's fine. That's great. But here's the deal. It better be more than a poster. It better be the story. Jesus will not settle for being a chapter in the book. He's every word. He's the word made flesh. He's every sentence. He's every period. He's every exclamation point. He's every jot and tittle of the story. Will you submit to that reality today? You see, some of us are living in Rome. We just call it Jeremy. Some of us are living in a video game, and it's our life. And we're trying to play the game with Jesus in the background, and he won't settle for that. Paul says here, Jesus must be the end, the center, and even the beginning today of your story. Would you trust him for salvation? Let's pray together. Oh God, we pray today that you would use your word and your spirit to transform us By the power of the gospel, in the name of Jesus, we pray today. Amen. I want to invite you to respond to the word of God. Maybe you showed up here today and you're just trying to check us out, trying to figure out what this church is about. We're not trying to be about ourselves. But we get that wrong every now and then.